the Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Well, I thank you for coming to the Black Light podcast and sharing your story. It's an amazing story. It's a story about somebody who was able to get a second chance at life. So I'm going to shut up and let (laughs) Miss Barbara um, tell us her wonderful story, like how she got incarcerated and then how she was able to get free. And most importantly, what she's doing now that she is free since society seems to think that people who are incarcerated cannot be rehabilitated on their own and that they can't come out and, you know, just live a normal life. So without further ado, Miss April Barber. Hello. Hello, everyone. Yes, I finally made it. <laughs> I went into prison at the age of 15 and served 31 and a half years. Now, now that I have your attention, let me backtrack as to how I got from there to here. I was in a relationship with a man twice my age. Things went awry. I met him when I was 14. He was 29. And he coerced me into just doing things that, you know, I was just under his influence. I was in love and just done uh, everything that he wanted me to. Um, I was pregnant. No one knew. We did something stupid, like set the house on fire that my grandparents lived in, which was also my house. They died as a result of that, and that is how I ended up with two consecutive life terms. Um, There was a juvenile sentence and review board put in place by Governor Cooper, who started to evaluate juvenile sentences for people that were sentenced under the age of 18 and as adults. And as a result of that, my sentence was commuted in March of this year. Had it not been for that, I would have had to have served a minimum of 40 years before I was even eligible for parole. So here I am now. Fast forward, I utilized the education and trade that I obtained in there. I came out as a paralegal. I'm a personal care aide, cosmetologist, trainer. I just learned a lot of trades and I really utilized my time for the good and not for the bad. I mean, I would never sit here and say that I was an angel for 31 and a half years. Surely, you know, that that would be a lot. So I, uh, getting through all my struggles and woes and giving birth to my son, I moved forward and pushed past the struggles and turned my pain into purpose. I now work as a personal care aide. I do advocacy work. I'm an author, an advocate for People that are still behind, I will, I'm developing my brand, um, Fence in Fighting for Freedom Advocacy. I'm going to turn that into an LLC and advocate for those that I left behind. Uh, I'm starting a podcast. It's called The 98% Life After Prison. I just travel around and tell my story, listen to everyone else's story. We try to band together and see what we can do differently and go back and get those um, who deserves a second chance who are left behind. Right. So let me let me back up just a little bit, Ms. April. Um, if you could kind of like tell us what happened 
Um, because you know, I know that you know the the media just puts out what they basically what the courts want them to know. They don't put out the victim side. They don't put out your side of the story because I still say you're a victim. You were a child, and so you were a victim as well. Can you tell us, just so people can get a glimpse of what you were going through at that time, what happened and and why it happened? Well, like I said, I was um, I was in a relationship with someone I had no business being in a relationship in. He was 15 years my senior. Mm. And he encouraged me to kind of scare my grandparents. And it was supposed to be like that Lifetime movie where something tragic happens and everyone just rushes together and everyone's crying on the on the lawn. And everything's like, okay, we accept everyone. And, mm-hmm. you know, in my dumb 15-year-old mind, that was what was supposed to happen. No one was supposed to get hurt. No one was supposed to die. It was just supposed to be an eye-opening experience, but it went completely south of what it was intended to be. Um, I gave birth under armed guard and had to hand my son over to a friend who luckily raised him. And when someone else raises your child, we have to, they have to realize also that it's not their children. So I had some ebbs and flows in a relationship with the person that raised him. But my son uh, graduated from college with a degree in exercise science, went into the Marine Corps, and now trained Navy SEAL. That's amazing. Explain to us, for those mothers out there who've never had to be in this situation, how hard was it to be, for one, young, two, facing the amount of time that you were facing, and then three, having to have a child under armed guards. Wow, let's see. Uh, such, a, such a trifecta of events. It was difficult carrying a child in prison because you're isolated, you're alone, and I was a child. So I was thrown amongst adults when I was not isolated during pregnancy. So um, I spent a lot of time, there were a lot of moments and months when there was no one to talk to but me and my unborn child. Of course, the guard's not there to be friendly. They do the absolute bare minimum of what is required. So the health care, the exercise, the nutrition, all of that is at the bare least. And then having to give birth under people that you know only that to do a, a job, not to not to help you, just being shackled and in labor and just having to sit there and give birth and having your, your body and emotions go through so many events all by yourself is very scary, it's difficult, it's mentally challenging, and it's just, it's a lot of wear and tear on you. Right, right. And just let the audience know, like, I mean, you were a child and then having to carry a child and that being the only person that you have, you know, there for you at that time, you're a child carrying a child. So after you had your child and they took your child, how did you cope? Like, how did you mentally cope with now the only best friend that I have is now gone and I'm stuck behind these walls with this, sentence that is just unjustly I had to just step outside of myself not for myself but for this child 
So even though I may have had my moments where I was angry and frustrated, I had to educate myself. Education is the only way, well, it's one of the main ways to get through prison. Even though I was a, a child, luckily, I was always very good at school. So what I had to do was educate myself through the news, the media, and anyone that would talk to me, just give me an idea of what life was like out there. Because I always put my mind where I wanted my body to be. So through education and just learning, learning through people that were actually incarcerated with me and worked there is how I was able to get through life incarcerated. Right. And that's rough, being a child growing up in a system where it teaches you absolutely nothing. So you had to teach yourself how to be a woman. You had to grow up way early because you were only 15 on top of being pregnant and then being incarcerated. So you went from juvenile... We had a parent behind bars also. We had a program called Match. And when I could get the caregiver to bring him, then I could utilize that time. And for the most part, like I said, I did communicate through phone calls through letters, and I would color pictures and make stuff. And I had to parent for 30 years also behind prison, which in itself is beyond challenging. You don't know what their last meal was. You don't know if they're getting exactly what they need. You don't know if they're being tucked in at night. You you imagine and you hope for the best, but you really don't know. Right. So tell us a little bit about your son and how, like, how was it growing up for him? How was he able to, because um, that's a traumatic experience, like, just, you know, growing up or being born in a prison and then not having your mom and then hearing, you know, that your mom done this heinous crime to your great-great-grandparents. Like, did he have to go? What did he experience growing up? Well, not even, not just with me, but with his father also, because that was my co-defendant. Right. So that ended up, so both of his parents, he grew up uh, seeing me inside of prison, which is not what I wanted for him. Both of my parents were incarcerated when I was younger. I grew up seeing the inside of the prison as well. So I never wanted my life to turn out like that. His upbringing was, um, it was challenging. Um, and she was a friend of the family, and she had other children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew her, like I said, since I was a child. So I, I you know, in my 15-year-old mind, that was the best choice to make. Uh, my son is biracial, and her children are also. And I wanted to put him in, a, in an environment where I wanted him to be accepted. Right. Because externally, people will snub you if they think that you're not, you're not in one box. Mm-hmm. So everyone belongs in whatever box that they view you in. But those that are biracial, multiracial, even myself, my parents are. My mother was black and my father was Cherokee. And there's also white in there also. So I look different. I understand when people view you as being different. So I wanted to put him in an environment where he would have the least likely chance to be discriminated against. Right. And so that was with the family of the friend. Now, did she treat him, you know, as her own, or did she treat him different, or? No, she treated him as um, as his own. He still refers to the ones that he grew up with as his siblings. That's amazing. That's amazing, because yeah. sometimes so you So they have, have a good relationship. I'm glad that he got to grow up around someone. That's good. That is amazing, um, knowing that he had that type of support 
behind him, even though, you know, the things that he was facing. So did his dad's side of the family, did they have anything to do? Like, did they have a relationship with him? He has somewhat of a relationship. His father had two children when I met him. He has somewhat of a relationship with them. His father died when he was eight in, in prison. His father did. His grandmother um, on his father's side was a wonderful woman. I can never say anything bad about that woman. Um, the other side, well, you know, not everyone. He, his, the other side believes that Colt belonged in a specific box, right. and he didn't check their boxes. Right. <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I got you. So they really didn't want too much to do, but that's good that, you know, he had his grandmother and then he also had, you know, the the friend of the family that just took him in with, with loving arms. Um, So let us know, like, how were you able to rehabilitate yourself? Because we just know... You know, prison is not somewhere that is rehabilitative. You know, the the environment is just so negative and the staff is, they don't make it any better. I mean, don't get me wrong, not all staff is bad, uh, but a lot of them are. Um, and so they do try to make your stay 10 times worse than what it should be. So tell us, being a child, growing from a child to a young lady to... to yeah. yeah, like, how were you able to do that? Like, can you give advice for some other people that are currently incarcerated or might be in a similar situation? Just how were you able to make it through? You know, the easy fix would to tell someone to educate yourself, follow all the rules, and just do what you're supposed to do. But really, you know, that would be a bunch of BS. You know, my <laughs> advice would really be to do how you want to do your time and use your time wisely. I just want you to make wise decisions. If they offer education programs and they offer less and less than they used to, utilize all the education that you can. Try to know, get to know yourself before you get to know everyone else. Prison is a place where you are amongst thousands of people, but the only one you can truly depend on is yourself, and there's going to be times that you'll come to that. If you don't have the external family support from the outside, you will have to do some things sometimes that you would not normally do. You will have to have a job for 40 cents a day to, in order to, to get a snack or to, to make a phone call or to buy snacks sometimes. You won't always be able to go to commissary and pick up anything that you want to or that you see your counterparts doing. Prison also humbles you. You learn what you will and won't expect, what you need to do, hopefully, and the type of people and environment that you need to surround yourself in. And that's amazing. Did you um, did you have somebody, like, I know some people have somebody that's older that kind of shows them the ropes and kind of helps, you know, guides them through being incarcerated. Did you have somebody like that, or you just, it was all you? You know, it was it was ninety percent me, but there are some people that were there that really um, were just mother figures and just people that really meant me good over the years. Most of them um, are out now. There are a couple that are still in, still fighting to to get out, but for the most part, they're out. And I still, I, since I've been out, I've probably uh, spoken with maybe all but two of them so far. That were really there in the beginning of my stay. 
see that's just, that see that's another good thing that you know y'all have stayed connected even and y'all became connected in a crazy situation and even though yeah. you're out of that situation you're still connected and still thirty years later I've spoken to three of them and there's there's one more but I think she's just not I think she's decided that she wants to kind of lay low and which is totally understandable. You know, but I decided that I needed to be heard. I was tired of laying low. Right. So it was for me to be heard. So let's speak on you saying, well, so when you say be heard, what you mean be heard? The one thing that you have out here is a voice. And the one thing that they try to silence in there is your voice. Some of us are more outspoken. Um, some of us do the right thing. And we have a tendency to encourage the other uh, inmates to do things, whether it be good or bad. So it's important that you use your voice for good, to kind of to fight the system and not each other. That's what I always told them to do. I, I tried to get them to not argue with each other, to mm-hmm. fight the system. That's what got you here. It wasn't one another. Yes, you have to band together to fight something that is trying to keep you or treat you so inhumanely. Yes. Yes. And I see, I hear a lot of women who are scared to talk out because they're scared of retaliation. And the only way to get help or to have a change is to all band together and keep speaking out no matter what. You got to stand up for, if you don't stand up for nothing, you know, you, you just, nothing's going to change. So if you're going to stand for something, you got to stand all the way. You do. Definitely do. And we know that prison will will do whatever they can to make you feel like you don't have a voice. And you do. Don't ever make don't don't ever let them tell you, you don't have a voice. You have a voice. Just because you are on their state property because you're never their property does not mean you don't have a voice. <laughs> yes. You're only God's property. That's <laughs> it. That's it, you know? So do you have any information if anybody, like, I know a lot of women, you know, want to start being activists or advocates and just don't know, like, some people just don't know how to get started. Do you have, like, any advice or you want to share your information where they can get in contact with you, you know, so you can help guide them and we all can collectively try to change North Carolina together because it's got to be a whole movement to change this state. It definitely does. Since I've gotten have connected with a lot of the advocacy groups that have helped me. One is I Can. That's the um, Senate Fair Senate thing for youth. That's CFSY, and it's under I Can. There's also the National Council for Women. I would contact your local um, your local government. Your not not your governor, but your commissioners, your mayors. And people like that. Mm-hmm. And my uh, Instagram is aprilbarber44. Reach out to me there. My email is april.scales75 at Gmail. So I'm just, my advocacy is it's just me because I now have a voice. So the best way to be an advocate is to use your voice for good. I agree. I agree. And that's why I became an advocate. I'm not directly impacted, but I'm indirectly impacted. And that's why I became an advocate, um, because that's the only way. But see, the people that have loved ones that are incarcerated are still directly impacted, because if you were there with them, if you visit them, 
if you accept their calls, if you write them letters, if you send them pictures, then you are just as effective because you do time by along with them. Yes. If they have 30 years life or 30 days, you still do that with them. So don't ever think that you are directly impacted because you, you truly are. Yeah. I mean, there's days I feel like I'm locked up with them. I mean, honestly, like it just, that's just, you know, how it feels. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's why I got into it because, you know, he felt voiceless and I was like, no, you know, you have a voice. And so I just amplify that voice. And that's what I'm here to do to amplify everybody else's voice um, to get them the relief that they need because everybody deserves a second chance. I don't feel like anybody should be just put away and forgotten about. And have to start with policy change. And once we're out here, the re-entry, if you need resources to start your life anew, you don't. You shouldn't have to struggle and and find things or get word of mouth. You should already be prepared with that before you leave. Well, yeah, kind of talk to us about that. I know when I was speaking with you the other day, you said that you were trying to prepare people who had like long sentences, like just how to prepare mm-hmm. themselves to start saving money. Can you speak to us about that? Well, there's um. I have uh, kind of broached the subject with some people perhaps that can make some policy changes. But, yes, I'm in the process of putting together like a handbook of resources and just some ideas what people need before they get out of prison. For example, they need access to the DMV handbook at least 90 days before they are released so they can study for that. They need updated re-entry resources. They need... Um, a real ID. They need to be equipped with that. They need to have um, their application for Medicaid on file and be able to pick the checkup the day that they get out. Um, they also need this $45 gate check. You have to have served at least two years in prison, and they leave you with this $45 gate check. It's been the same $45 since the beginning of time. I, you know, had I not had someone behind me and saved up a little money. You mean to tell me that I served three decades in prison and the only compensation I get is $45 to start my life? That ain't nothing. Right, that ain't nothing. $45 now during inflation is like $5. You know? Yes. Especially when you've been locked up for decades, like you have absolutely nothing. 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 And I was, my sentence was commuted by the governor. You know, I wasn't, um, and luckily, I didn't have to get to the step where I was at honor grade and can save up money like some people. If you have your sentence commuted or if you have your sentence altered in the court system, there's no way that you can prepare. I mean, you may have sat in for 20 years thinking, okay, well, I have X amount of years, and then when I get to this stage, then I'll go to honor grade and save up. But if the the floodgates open and your sentence is commuted or, uh, you know, altered in some way and you get out the next day and all they're going to give you is $45 <laughs> after, after decades in prison, what in the world are you going to do with that? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, that, that that is important. And then you wonder why, you know, it says JPay is the inmate trust fund. So what are, you, what, what are you putting in the fund if you're giving them $45? Like, y'all should have... Yeah. Thousands of dollars if you've done decades. The inmate welfare fund is supposed to be used going back into the system. Um, and that's from you, you pay $10 whenever you get a ticket or infraction, depending on the prison 
what it's called. But that's something that's a, it's a violation of one of the rules. So the $10 that you pay for the infraction is supposed to go back into this inmate welfare fund. Well, the ones that I advocate for at one of the female facilities, they have issues with getting sanitary pads. They have issues with getting state paper. Now, this is the state, one-sided, wide-ruled, fake college-line paper. And they have to run off copies. They're not even giving them paper. So if you don't have money to write a letter on this paper, um, you have to borrow one. If you don't have money to go to the canteen and buy a notebook, then you have to wait for someone to hand you two sheets of paper and an envelope. And see, that's unacceptable. Like, you shouldn't have, everybody should have access to paper and envelopes and stamps. Like, simple and stuff. sanitary pads. Yes. For the love of God, don't have some man handing me two pads and think that that's a good idea. Right. Like, I mean, and then you don't even know. My thing is, every woman's flow is different. You know, some women have other, you know, they have endometriosis. Like, they have other things that make them have uh-huh. a heavy flow. So, you should not, it should be no dictation on tampons, pads. It shouldn't be no dictation on none of that. That should just be like... That should be a violation of the Dignity Act. So whoever is listening, I hope that you know I'm coming for you. Through this Dignity Act, I'm coming for you. When you violate only giving out two pads to an individual, I mean, your days are numbered. Either you just do what you're supposed to, and you can just get another job. It doesn't matter. Well, I'm coming for you, too, because... There should never be a limit on anything that has to do with a woman's monthly cycle, period. That's something you cannot stop. That is what God gave you to do. And so there should not be no limit on anything. So, yes, get over it. Yes, I know you don't want us to. We know. But it it is what it is. So, yeah, we're coming for you. You We can't be putting any limit on sanitation pads or tampons. For that's just that's like I said that just makes no sense. You're putting a limitation on a woman's body, like you want to do with the abortions. We're not having that. Stop putting limitations on our bodies. These are our bodies. Yes. Well, Miss April, I'm glad. I'm so glad that you were able to come on the show. I am glad that the world got to hear you and your story, and not just what was told on Fox Eight and whatever other news station that covered it. And I want people just to hear your wonderful voice and how joyful you are and how you made it. And I'm just thankful that you came to the show to just spread all this wonderful information. You actually are the first lady that we've had on the show. So congratulations. Thank you. It's been a wonder. And I just thank you so much. And congratulations. I can't say that enough. And I'm just honored to be in your presence because... To go through what you've been through and just to hear, like, you don't even sound like you did a day behind those walls. <laughs> and you don't. Like, you don't look like I it and you don't 30, sound like listen, it. Not just that I do a day. I did 31 and a half years and 20 days. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You don't even sound like you done that. So I'm just honored to be in your presence and to even be on the phone with you. Because, like I said, that is amazing. Some people can't even... A lot of a lot of people don't make it out of prison. And if they do, they don't make it long because prison just takes so much out of them. So imagine doing 30-something years and then you come out and you just hear this lovely voice. Like, she's never done a day, y'all. Like, come on. So just thank you so much. And y'all, follow April. She is 
a hero. She is a survivor. She is a warrior. Support her. Support her movement. Support our movement. Like we're all in this together. We're all we all have the same purpose of freeing our people and yes, just changing. I've, I've written three books. If you want them, they're available on Amazon. Sure Shot and Cadmus. That's thirty one days of growth and reflection. A meditative journal. Fence in fighting for freedom, which is my mini uh, autobiography. And there's Memoirs of Susie, which is a book about the relationship that I had with my mother, all written behind bars. Please go support April Barber, y'all. She's on Amazon. And what other two did you say? Cadmus. Cadmus. Cadmus is Sure Shot. The other ones, yeah, are available directly from the publisher. Please go support her, read her books, and just give her a lot of support, y'all. She deserves it, and she's out here fighting for many others in the same situation, different situation, same thing. If you're behind bars, we're fighting. So thank you so much, Ms. Barber. Is there anything you want to tell the audience? Well, just to, you know, just keep the fight. Just keep fighting for those that you left behind and for those that you love. And if you didn't, then talk to us, the rest of us, and so you can just kind of see where we're coming from. That's it. Just talk to somebody. Don't don't judge. Never pass judgment. Just talk to them directly and see what happened and get their side. Don't get the side of what the media, because the media only has one side. But there's always two yeah. sides to a story. Remember that. The side, the side that sells the story. Yes. So you got to get the other side. There's always two sides, not just one. So don't always believe what you hear on the news. Go research and talk to these people. They're wonderful. Y'all have a good one. Thank you. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.